It all happened on a day, that joyful Christmas day planned in eternity by God the Father and declared by angels as this day which Christ the Savior would be born. On this day, at the perfect fullness of time in the prophesied city of Bethlehem, a promised Savior was born to a perishing world. Jesus' birth shook an unassuming, silent night into a spectacular night as history was split between Christmas promised and Christmas fulfilled. So it was that in the manger lay the infant Jesus Christ, God's great confirmation of all his promises revealed in the glory of Christmas. So good morning, church. Happy Thanksgiving again. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving week, or as I've been thinking of it, World Cup week. Um, depends on whether or not you care about soccer or not. Um, but it's been uh, hopefully a good week with family, some time off from work maybe, some time spent around one another. And we are starting our Christmas series today, even though it may not feel like Christmas. <laughs> I mean, it is November 27th, um, three days after Thanksgiving, a certain number of days till December. I can never remember which ones have 31 or not. I know they all have 28. That's how the joke goes, and you get caught on that one sometimes, but, um, but I, I can never remember which ones have 31. So at some point, it'll be December later on this week, but it may not feel like Christmas to you. It's definitely the holiday season, I think, probably uh, for all of us, um, but I wanted to do a quick poll and see how Christmassy y'all might be feeling, all right? Ready? So by a showing of hands, how many of you have already decorated for Christmas? Okay, quite a few. All right, no judging in the room if you're like anti any of these things, okay? I know there's been like fist fights about when you can start playing Christmas music between people, but speaking of Christmas music, how many of you have already started listening to Christmas music? Raise your hands. Okay, more on that one. That was the, the highest of both the last, uh, in the last hour, all right? How about this? How many of you have started watching Christmas movies? Raise your hand. Oh, okay, more, a higher percentage this time. You know, I've got a four-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I look forward to opening up a different genre of movie for this time of year because I can only watch certain things so many times. And there's only, and yes, there's tons of content out there, but a lot of it's garbage, right? And, uh, and so the, the, the circle, the Venn diagram of what we can watch or should watch mixed with what I want to watch, there's a sliver sometimes, right? When it, comes to, when it comes to my daughters. And so I look forward to the Christmas season, at least movie-wise, but I know some of y'all haven't, haven't decorated yet. You may feel like I do. Um, I was supposed to do that this week. I didn't. Um, but you know, two days ago, I, went outside, I walked outside and I was planning on doing it. And I started to wonder, should I really be sweating this much while decorating for Christmas? <laughs> it didn't feel right, you know? And so I didn't need much motivation to procrastinate on it. So that was easy. I just pushed it aside. The, uh, my wife was upstairs. She didn't know that I was procrastinating until later and we were good. And so I don't know how it feels for you in terms, of, in terms of the Christmas season, but we are going to start that series today. But in a way, that's maybe not too Christmassy. You see, um, the, the title of the message today is The Reason for the Season. We talk every year, you hear people mention over and over again about not for, uh, forgetting the reason for the season. Right, we get caught up in all the activity and making food and buying Christmas presents. I didn't ask that one to see who's done with their shopping yet. I won't, I won't put you on the spot for that one. But we get so caught up, right? And, there, and every year, there's some truth in it. 
that we get caught up too much in the activity and we lose enjoyment with our families. We lose the, the meaning of why we're even gathering together and, and it, it can happen. Um, but what we're gonna talk about this morning is the fact that that's not something that's exclusive to the holiday season. Our getting caught up in activity and losing sight of the why and the reason and some of the core of why we started doing that activity is something that we can be guilty of any day of the year and including in our faith. It's possible to get caught up doing the things of the church, doing the things of God that are even good things and yet lose sight of why you're even doing it to begin with. And there's a... Um, a part of Revelation chapter two is where we're gonna to be today in which Jesus is speaking, uh, about to speak to the churches, but he starts off with Ephesus. And Revelation two verses one through seven, we have this message from Jesus to the church at Ephesus. And this church had apparently fallen into this trap of doing a lot of good things and yet losing sight of who they were and why. So let's take a look, Revelation chapter two, verses one through seven. I'm gonna read through the whole chunk of verses and then we'll walk back and, uh, and, and walk through it together. So Revelation two. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember therefore from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So we have this one it's only seven verses, but it's, it's the full statement of Jesus to this church in Ephesus. And so a little bit of context beyond the context that we're given in this verse is the church in Ephesus was kind of an important church. The city of Ephesus was kind of an important city. I've heard, it, um, I've heard people compare it to New York City because it was a, a, central, a very central part of the, the way of life in Asia Minor there. It was, a, it was a crossroads for land travel. It was a crossroads for sea travel. They had a harbor there. It was a, a huge worship spot. In fact, the temple of the goddess, make sure I get the name right, Artemis, right, or Diana, depending on which way you want to put it, there, the temple for that goddess was one of the ancient wonders of the world, one of the seven. It was also, because of that and other things, a huge center of sinfulness. And hedonism, a, a, a desiring to do whatever feels good. That is, in the, that is the city that we find this church in. This church that was planted by Paul. He spent years in Ephesus with this church. We see that Timothy was even in some way a pastor of this church at some point. And even the author of Revelation, John, 
According to some other writings, there is, the, the thought is that John was an elder in this church, and that's even the church that he might be referencing in his epistles when he says that he is an elder. This same church in Ephesus. Paul wrote the epistle of Ephesians decades before this writing of Revelation. It's a very central part of the church in this day. And we see that there's a lot of things they're doing well, and yet they're not doing everything perfectly. We start off with, uh, with the positives that Jesus is communicating about this church. He says, listen, I know what you're doing. But he's, he's fully aware of what this church is going through. Verse two, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. This is a church doing a lot of good things. They were working hard. They were toiling. They were laboring for Christ. This is not a group of people that was just hanging out together, eating food, and then going about their lives. This is a group of people who were working hard and enduring the persecution and struggles that they were going through. You can read the book of Acts and you can read of some of the things that were going on in Ephesus that this church was walking through. Persecution from outside that was making their lives difficult to follow Christ. One could even argue that if for someone to call themselves a follower of Christ and believer and never to face any difficulty for that, potentially should call into question whether that person is a true believer that would not have been called into question in this church. This church was full of people doing what they needed to do. Day in, day out, every week, striving for the gospel. Striving so much so that they were fighting against false teachers in their midst. Now we spent a lot of time in the last series going through, uh, going through Jude and talking about false teachers. I'm not gonna go in, into too much depth. You've got weeks to look at for that but they were actually putting it into practice in that church. They were actually standing against these false teachers and testing them and finding them false and, and standing against them. That required tremendous leadership and character in this church. But even with all of these things, even with all of these strivings that they've been doing, even though we would probably walk into that church and be just amazed at how they were living for Christ. Jesus says, I also know more than that. And there's something missing. He highlights the positives, but then he, he points out the problem. Verse four, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Love is core to Christianity. <laughs> we love because he first loved us. If we, have, if we don't have the love of the Father in us, then we're not expected, we're not thought of to be me believers to begin with. Loving one another is supposed to be the hallmark of the fact that we are followers of him. Jesus says in John 13, 35, that I will know, that the, sorry, that they will know that you are my disciples based on how you love one another. Love is, is core and crucial. 
And yet they had abandoned the love at first, even while continuing to do these things. I don't think it takes much effort for any of us, especially if we lived and, and been in the church for a while to see how this might have happened. As a church is striving and, and, and focusing so strongly on the things that they are, are meant to be doing and yet somehow veer off course some, lose sight of the why and the reason that they were even doing these actions to begin with. Now, the, this love that they've abandoned at first, different people have different perspectives on, is it um, just speaking of the love of the Father or for the Father? Is it speaking of the love for one another? Is it speaking of love for the nations and, and their witness in the community? Some people would say it's all three. Some would pick and choose which ones they want it to be. There's only so much context we have to go off of. I chose for us to, to highlight two of them today. First of all, the love for one another. Like I just said, the, the way that we love one another is the way that the world is supposed to know whether or not we are his disciples. And yet I don't think it takes much for us to think about how if you're fighting false teachers within your midst and you are facing persecution and struggling on a daily basis that they can fall into the trap that some of us can fall into of comparisons with one another, petty disagreements, looking down on one another because, hey, I was in, this, I was in town yesterday and facing this, where were you? And there'd be a, an abandoning of that love for one another that, that they had at first. Actions without love can be a definition for legalism and self-righteousness, definitely a recipe for it. And the church in Ephesus was potentially just as good at doing that as we are. <laughs> I mean, it would never be said of us today in, our, in, in, in McGregor Baptist Church that we have some self-righteousness in us. This church is known amongst many as a church for Bible teaching and sound doctrine, and that is an awesome, awesome thing. But if we lose and abandon that love at first and we get caught up in our actions and we get caught up in comparing our actions to the actions of those around us, we can very easily fall into that trap. And there's a lot of positives about social media. There's also a lot of negatives. I think, unfortunately, we tend to live out our legalism and self-righteousness for the world to see at times. You see, I got a little, I got some gray right here, some grays working through here, and uh, you know, I say that to, to say I remember a day when if I wanted to display my self-righteousness, I would have to leave my house and find somebody and tell them if I wanted my school or my community to know what I was doing so well and, and draw a distinction between what I was doing and what somebody else was doing, I would have to go out and shout it to them. Find someone, tell them. I have to go brag about myself. I have to go find someone to brag to. Today, it's as easy as pulling our phone out of our pockets, typing in some words and sending it off into the faceless, nameless nothingness. because we're not communicating directly to a person it makes it so easy for us to just send it out to everyone. 
difficult to love well on social media, isn't it? And listen, I'm not standing here as the, as the perfect social mediaite, if that's even a word. I'm sure if you scroll through my social media, you'll find and be able to say, you did it wrong here, you did it wrong here, you did it wrong here. I'll, I'm gonna go ahead and tell you, you can probably find that. But let us not just say, well, everyone else is doing it. <laughs> What's your motivation when you make a social media post? Are you loving well? Is your motivation really because they need to know or because you need to say? There's so many things we put in, out on the internet for everyone to see that we wouldn't say to someone's face because it's so easy. And so I say that because I think that's one of the, that's one of the areas of our current church culture and life that we see this lived out. They'd abandoned the love for one another, potentially abandoned that love they had at first for the Father. You see, the epistle that, that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, written, written decades earlier, in Ephesians 3, it says this, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As we follow Christ, and as we rightfully so hold to sound doctrine and Bible teaching, we can fall into the trap of it just being about this understanding that we're developing. And the more I know means the more mature I am in Christ, even though I'm not living any of it out. It's possible to hold to sound doctrine and teaching and yet love not be evident in your life. And it appears that the church in Ephesus had fallen into that. The good news? <laughs> Jesus gives us a prescription. He says, here's how you solve this. Do these things. Take a look at the next verse, verse five. But remember... <clears throat> Therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. He says, if you don't do these things, then I will come in judgment and I will discipline you. But therefore, there is a path forward. There is a way to get out of this rut doing all of these good things but leaving love behind. First one he says is remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember who you were. You see, the antidote to us being self-righteous is remembering that we are no better than anybody else to begin with. The thing that stops us from stepping in and pointing out the speck in their eye while there's a plank in our own eye is remembering from where we have fallen. 
that builds up the love, not just amongst one another, but builds up that love for the Father as well. Remembering that we are destined for the wrath of God and deserve nothing but the wrath of God and where this world is headed apart from Christ. That there should be no way for us to be able to spend eternity with God, but there is a way by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. That we don't have to get the penalty we deserve because he offered to take it for us. Remember from where you have fallen. You know, one of the ways that I think really helps with this is to be around new believers. Now you, you might be a new believer in this room. You might have just become a Christian this year or, the, or, your, or last year. Awesome, praise God, that's awesome. Many of you in this room are, have been believers for a long time. And both the seasoned and the young, in terms of their time in Christ, are incredibly important to one another. You see, the new believers need the wisdom and discernment and understanding that the seasoned believers can provide. And the seasoned believers need that exuberance and that young love for Christ to remind us from where we've come. And if we don't have those two aspects in our life, we're missing something. And we're gonna be falling into a trap potentially. I don't know how much time you spend around new believers. Maybe you've surrounded yourself with just those who've been in Christ for a long time. Maybe you're never sharing the gospel with anybody and so you have a very low chance of coming into contact with a new believer. Someone you can disciple as a seasoned believer. But this church family looks as diverse as it does for a reason. It's supposed to, so that we are stronger together. Remember from where you have fallen. Secondly, he says, repent. Repent, turn from it. He just made them aware of their error, turned from it, and turned to something. Return to the works that you did at first. Return and do the works you did at first. I imagine everyone in this room who's been a believer for, I don't know, longer than 10 years remembers something they used to do in their first year of being a believer that they might not still do today. And I'm not saying that we should never change and (laughs) and mature and, and life looks differently at different stages of life and all those things. But think back. Remember what it was like when you first became a believer. What were some of those things that you did that maybe you need to return to? Did you look at the Bible differently? Did you have a greater hunger and thirst for the word of God? Were you eager to gather together with other believers to encourage one another, to worship? Was your prayer life different? Was your witness different? Return to the works that you did at first. Return to what it was like to reinvigorate that love that you strayed from. 
Remember, repent, and return. He says, that's the antidote. That is what you need to do. And he's speaking here to the church of Ephesus, to anyone who is going through this same struggle. You know, Hurricane Ian was a terrible thing in, in many ways, but there were some hopeful upbuilding moments, at least that I observed personally. You know, there was a couple times, it was funny, we had, um, where we heard of a need, I'll explain why I, was, why I say funny. Uh, we heard of, of a need that someone had in the church. Once we had our phones working and everything, we could get back in contact with anybody. And we would desire to send and would send someone to this person to, hope, to make sure the need is being met and that person would get there and find out their life group had already taken care of it. You see, Ian was quite possibly the best commercial we've ever had for life groups at this church. McGregor can be as large of a church or as small of a church as you want it to be. You can come and only sit in this room and be one among many, or you can go into a life group and into a community with a group of believers and you can experience that together because these, our life groups did not need to be told to go love one another. We didn't have to say, hey, there's people that are in your community with you that you need to go love. They did it on their own. You didn't need the organization to come forth and do that, even though there's some things the organization can help with as well. It was a great time of loving one another. And yet, can we please not make it take another hurricane for us to do it again? Let it not take another hurricane for the, to be the next time that you actually ask meaningful questions of another brother and sister in Christ in this body and seek to love them well. Return to what you did. Like I said, he, he does describe a, a penalty if they don't turn. He also gives a little bit of a parallel in verse six. Yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. We don't know a lot about them. We know that their works should be hated. <laughs> and you, know, you could say maybe Jesus is just doing a compliment sandwich here, right? Some positives, here's your, here's your struggle. Here's a good thing positive on the end. Or... I think even more so than that, the reason he's mentioning this one is because there's a parallel between what we love and hate. You may have prayed a prayer similar to I have prayed in my life. Lord, let me love more the things that you love and let me hate more the things that you hate. Because if we align our love with God, it will also align the things that we hate with what he hates. And the work of the Nicolaitans was on that list. But verse seven, our last verse, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is the paradise of God, which is in the paradise of God. See, the promise here on the end is that those of faith are granted eternal life. Just in these seven verses, it's amazing how much Jesus communicates and he ends with this note of hopefulness of this promise for those who conquer, who overcome, who grant to eat the tree of life, a, a beautiful picture going back to the original creation in the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was. You see, John also writes in 1 John chapter five, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? We don't overcome or conquer the world by our own works, by doing all the right things. We don't overcome and conquer the world that way. We overcome and conquer the world and, the way, and where the world is headed towards the wrath of God based on faith in Jesus Christ. We are given overcoming. We are welcomed into the family of God and adopted as sons and daughters of God. Not based on our own merit, but based on Jesus Christ. And it are, it's those who overcome. If you're in this room today and you have never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I would love to talk with you about that before you leave. There's a, a number you can text that gets that conversation going in a digital way as well. But if you're not in faith in Christ, you are not overcoming the world. You are still among the world and you are destined for the same destination that the world is. But for those of us who are in Christ and have maybe gone astray and doing the right things, the right activities, just like we do around the seasons and we do all of these things that, we, that we, we really want to do. If you asked us months ago, we would said, yeah, I'm looking forward to all of that. And then we get in the middle of it <laughs> and it feels a little different maybe if we've, if we've lost sight of that love. I think every single one of us in this room has probably strayed a little. Some more than others and myself included. Ministers are not the exclusion to the rule. In fact, I have people that I have served with that are no longer in ministry because they made some bad choices. And you've heard of so many that unfortunately commit moral failures and are no longer in ministry. And you know the one thing that I hear over and over again in hearing those stories? is that with hindsight, they can go back and they can think and they can remember of how they began to lost the love they had at first. Didn't matter that they were employed by a church. They started to do without love. They kept the activity going, but they were abandoning that love they had at first. The Bible became a book report instead of the word of God. And so for any of us in this room that this is speaking to today, let's do exactly what Jesus says. Let's remember, let's repent, and let's return.